Welcome to the Wildflower Half Hour. I'm Isabel Hardman and in this week's episode we're going to be finding out about the cabbage family, hearing about March wildflowers and discovering the wealth of flowers that grow on our roadside verges. Wildflower Hour takes place every Sunday between 8 and 9pm on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You don't need to know what the flowers that you found actually are, all you need to do is find them and then upload your photos to our Facebook group or on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Wildflower Hour. It's wonderful seeing the colours of each wildflower hour change with each week and there are so many more flowers opening now that we are into March. Each month we get a special treat of a reading from Zoe Devlin's lovely book Blooming Marvellous, A Wildflower Hunter's Year and here's her March instalment. I suppose I am a bit odd but often what I recall most about a place is the vegetation growing there. For instance, I visited the Colosseum in Rome a few years ago And what struck me most was the number of different species of wildflowers that grew all over it. Admittedly, the building was quite remarkable. But give me nature any day. And some decades ago, we had a quartet of American cousins staying with us for a few weeks in late March. They naturally wanted to see as much of Ireland as they could during their visit and were particularly interested in old castles and historical artefacts. It was this interest that prompted us to take them to see the Rock of Cashel in County Tipperary. The traditional seat of the Kings of Munster prior to the Norman invasion, this is an extremely impressive collection of buildings demonstrating Celtic art and medieval architecture. At the time of our visit, those three words, health and safety, had not come into common parlance. And if you wanted to do something silly, nobody was going to stop you. As a result, more of the buildings were accessible to the public than is the case now. And so we found ourselves at a considerable height, gazing across the Munster landscape from an elevated part of the structure. However, my eye was drawn to a small plant that was growing on the very, very top of the wall we were leaning on. Until that moment, I had never seen it, but I knew that it had to be rue-leaved saxifrage. Bearing a small white flower on red stems with fleshy, sticky, hairy, green-red leaves in a rosette at the base of the plant, it could not be anything else. An indicator of medieval settlements, it is frequently found on old masonry, having a preference for sunny, alkaline conditions. My poring over books during the winter months had helped me to identify this little species and finding it unexpectedly as I did was such a bonus. I think our American cousins had already written me off as a bit eccentric. Now it was confirmed. Thank you Zoe for that wonderful reading. Now you may know that around 97% of our native wildflower meadows have disappeared. But did you know that roadside verges are becoming an important haven for flowers as other habitats recede? Mark Schofield works for the Lincolnshire Wildlife Trust and manages their roadside verge nature reserves. He told me why it was important to keep these scraps of land safe. You work on road verges, which is not necessarily where a lot of people would travel to find wildflowers. Why do you do that? Well, I'm so glad you asked. They really are the unsung part of our landscape. I suppose it's easy to think of them as barriers for wildlife and the cause of roadkill and something that's that's bad for nature. But 
Over the last few years, conservationists and botanists have been becoming increasingly aware they're capable of, of acting as really vital refuges and corridors for wildlife. So road verges, although they whiz past us on the way to work, on the school run, every day, and we don't tend to notice them, actually, perhaps these, these really unlikely places, they can play a vital role in the landscape. And what sort of wildflowers might you be able to find on the verges in Lincolnshire where you work? In Lincolnshire, um, we've got a whole range of, of wildflowers, uh, especially well adapted to limestone and chalk soils. And, and they're the, the most important habitats that our road verges really support here in this county. You might be familiar with autumn gentian or small scabious or clustered bellflower similar species that that really indicate that there's a a good quality of grassland habitat and that's really the the strength to play to in Lincolnshire. And so what do you do in terms of managing those verges? Is it just a case of stopping people dumping litter on them or is it a little bit more intense than that? Really it's the the mulch that's left from flail mowing that really starts to, to blanket the the growth of vegetation on road verges so it's only the most vigorous plants that can prevail if you if you flail and leave the cuttings lying on the surface of the turf the key to encouraging the best and the broadest diversity of of plant life on verges is to ensure that as closely as possible you imitate the action of, of natural grazing of wild grazing animals which would disturb the surface of the ground a little bit giving seedlings of wildflowers a chance to contend with the more competitive grass. Also to um, to remove the biomass that would otherwise, well, just stay there and outcompete and overshadow and overtop anything that tries to grow through it. It's also a way of, of lowering the fertility of soil, which is um, suffering from an unnatural elevation of fertility, basically coming from surrounding agricultural practice. And how do you do that? Presumably you're not leading a herd of sheep or cows down roadside verges to mimic grazing. Well, it was, it was a long time ago when, when that happened. And strange as it might seem nowadays, it was the, the old enclosure acts of the, the late 1700s uh, in Lincolnshire really provided for, for drive-through grazing. But you now see the, the kind of what's left over from that in terms of um, broad verge widths. And some are taken for hay. Um, but really in our county it's mainly arable farming now Um, and it's for that reason that a partnership has recently been struck up um, with Lincolnshire County Council and uh, the Wildlife Trust is uh, advising on how forage harvesting on road verges might present uh, an opportunity for for the future conservation of wildflowers on road verges, provided that the, the, the manner of the cutting, the timing and the frequency are all uh, undertaken in a way that's sympathetic to wildflowers, giving them a chance to grow, to set seed and making sure that basically we know where we need to be most careful. Based on survey work, uh, it's important to, to have in mind a, a pyramid of, of verge quality, knowing where the best ones are uh, and where to be uh, most careful. And then when we cut and where we cut, Um, to always bear in mind the effects of what you could call a a linear mosaic, uh, which is advice we get from a a paper published in West Norway in 2010, where, if you like putting it basically, there are parallel stripes of of cutting, where you could cut next to the road twice a year, then one one working width in uh, just once a year, 
uh, maybe once every other year at the base of a hedgerow uh, and alternate sides to conserve the, the invertebrates that wouldn't want to be uh, disturbed all at once. So there, there, are, there are opportunities to, to look for economies of effort, perhaps even uh, opportunities for business, um, because those cuttings, of course, become a resource for anaerobic digestion and energy generation as an alternative to fossil fuels. And have you got businesses who are interested in taking those cuttings and is it a cost-effective exercise for them? In May in 2016, we had some very favourable results that, that found that uh, the amount of biogas you can generate from biomass harvested from road verges is no less productive in terms of the energy it can produce compared to a standard silage crop, which of course you'd be fertilising, um, but instead what road verge grassland is doing is it's sponging off the leftover fertility in the, in the landscape, in the environment. So uh, it's making use of something that would otherwise go to waste and tapping into a, a hitherto untapped uh, asset in the landscape. Um, it needs to be carefully uh, regulated though it, it, to make sure that biodiversity benefit is central to what's, uh, what goes forward. But really there's, there are opportunities to restore management to neglected verges, uh, a management that they, they sorely need. The, the real problem with road verges, roughly speaking, there are about um, 400,000 kilometres of, of road in England and Scotland and Wales combined. And that amounts to over 200,000 hectares in area, which does sound like a, a huge tract of land. And it is because that's about the size of Nottinghamshire. It's almost as if there's a, a hidden county hidden in plain sight. About 5% of that area uh, are the broad verges you see alongside motorways. So really the bulk of that is made up by the B roads, the C roads, the unclassified roads, those little tributaries or those little capillaries in the kind of vascular system of the country's infrastructure. And that all adds up to a large surface area which can support a huge amount of wildlife. You see quite a, a variation in road verge average width um, across different counties. So it's strange to see that in the East Midlands, the average uh, verge width can be over three meters, whereas in more upland areas and down in the Southwest, uh, it's closer to about a meter. But that makes sense when you think about the broad drove verges of the East Riding, let's say in Yorkshire or in Lincolnshire or in Cambridgeshire versus perhaps you know, the, the, the narrow lanes of Devon and, and Cumbria. There's some good evidence of the resource that road verges provide for wildlife. A recent study, 2014, from Devon and Cornwall, where uh, many more bumblebees uh, and forage plants for bumblebees were found on the roadside of hedgerows than on the field side. So that really um, starts to speak about an important resource uh, in the landscape that verges can provide. We're not really looking at the, the best quality of, of grassland on verges. It's, it's always going to be next best to, to nature reserves. And we get that information from um, a study in, from Finland in, in 2000. But nevertheless, um, we've got some interesting data from the 1962 Atlas of the British Flora, which actually says that um, nearly 10% of the 300 rarest plants noted at that time were found on road verges and a quarter of those were found to occur mainly on road verges, if not rely entirely upon them. So among that select group are some spectacular wildflowers like perennial flax or sickle-leaved hare's ear or even spiked rampion. 
Um, and when we look at Lincolnshire, where I'm based, there's a sad story to tell about lizard orchid, and we lost that in the 1960s. It was last found growing on a road verge. Um, because of the, the diminishing quality of, of road verges for wildflowers, um, there's, there's been less and less of the plant called horseshoe vetch. And that is the only food plant for the caterpillars of the Chalk Hill Blue butterfly. And that was another local extinction we suffered, this time in uh, the 1970s. It's a sorry tale of, of local extinction and what we believe one has just happened under our noses on our turf um, in recent years, and that's perennial flax. Uh, with permission from uh, the Leicestershire and Rutland Wildlife Trust and Highways England, we're desperately hand-collecting seeds of a little clump of perennial flax that grows on the other side of the A1 in Rutland, and we're, we're introducing that plant to of our, our nature reserves that uh, the Lincolnshire Wildlife Trust owns. It's a, a place in the landscape where some of our rarest plants are, are, are just hanging on, and the more you study road verges, the more you realise that actually wildflowers in, in that context are just like embers that are uh, uh, in danger of sputtering out. Um, they're not just a refuge for wildlife though, because of course, given their shape, they can actually provide a really important ecological function as wildlife corridors. And we do have some evidence for that um, from studies on Roselle's bush cricket. And also when we look at data of how salt marsh grass colonized our trunk uh, a roads and our motorways in the early 80s uh, and now more recently uh, how we see Danish scurvy grass everywhere. I think in the 90s it was colonizing and moving along our, our, our road verges at a rate of 10 to 20 kilometers a year. So that's really strong evidence that wildlife can, can make use of our, our road verge corridors. We don't like to see invasive species taking over but we're hopeful that that corridor function can work for uh, a broad diversity of wildflowers and support um, nature at large. Of course, that's really, really relevant to Professor Sir John Lawton's report, Making Space for Nature, that was published in 2010. It's much quoted, and it's, uh, it stressed the importance of uh, making sure habitat is better connected. And that's what road verges can really achieve for wildlife. So road verges really do represent the final redoubt for, for grassland wildlife, if you like, and a much uh, quoted and horrific um, statistic was given by the Grasslands Trust, um, and 97% of our grassland uh, is thought to have been lost uh, since the, the 1930s. That's the species-rich, wildflower-rich, um, lowland uh, hay meadow grassland uh, and, and pasture, which um, is so evocative of generations past and is now sorely lacking in our landscape. And that, that's really, that was the, the, the inspiration behind work that we did in Lincolnshire. And just in terms of the flora of Lincolnshire's road verges and what you're finding there, just tell us a little bit about that. Well, this pressing need to conserve grassland and the relative broad width of verges in Lincolnshire, both of those were a, a key driver, a really strong motivation for us to, to mobilise volunteers to go out and explore our road verges and to add to our knowledge of, of where the most important ones are for our wildflowers. And that was building on work that started in the 1960s in partnership with the county councils here. Before we started a project in 2009, um, we had a, a portfolio of 65 of what are called roadside nature reserves, um, amounting to about 80 kilometres of, of road. Uh, and they really represented the, the gold medal standard of, of wildflower-rich verges. 
But we knew there was more than that out there, and we, we, we knew we had to try to link them up um, with perhaps the next best. And uh, the opportunity came with some funding in 2009. Over the next seven survey seasons, we were able to involve over 250 volunteers. It was a real triumph for citizen science. They, they helped us cover, uh, eventually, a grand total of nearly 4,000 kilometres of road. Resulting from that was a designation of 159 new roadside local wildlife sites, which are a, a material consideration in the, uh, in the planning um, process. And uh, although they're not statutorily protected, um, it puts nature on the map where we, where we need to know and where we can start to defend that turf. Th those 159 new local wildlife sites represent nearly 100 hectares of, well, grassland habitat we didn't know about. It's great when, it, when you see it on a map, but it, it looks like a, a shattered map of the London Underground and you really want to join it all up and enable nature, enable wildlife to move throughout the county as it needs to in response to the pressures we, we place upon it. One overriding impression we got from those surveys was that um, there was a depressing lack of management. So verges where they weren't cut every day like a bowling green, they were left uncut and of course that led to vegetation succession or the turning of, of a wildflower rich sward into something a lot tussockier or somewhere that started to be invaded by, by um, scrub from the neighbouring hedgerow. Of course that's valuable habitat in its own right. Tussocks are great for small mammals but if we see our road verges all turn into tussocks we've lost something. We've lost something very precious. We've lost our wildflower rich grassland and we also saw uh, the signs of high fertility. That's a ubiquitous problem, really. Um, the Countryside 2000 surveys uh, are showing us the telltale signs of elevated fertility in our soil uh, as it bleeds out of um, agricultural land and starts to affect marginal land, even nature reserves. So um, we're seeing more cleavers growing over hedgerows. We're seeing more nettle uh, in our roadsides uh, and alongside ditches. That chimes with Plant Life's recent report. They've highlighted this problem of a higher than natural level of fertility in our soil in their report called We Need to Talk About Nitrogen. And we really do, because our road verges are screaming at us, saying, look, we're choking up with nettles, we're covered in cleavers, you know, we want to grow more knapweed, more purple milkvetch, more basil thyme and dyer's greenweed. And, and we can't do that because these, these brutes are muscling us out. So... Uh, we thought, well, okay, the do-nothing position is not going to do wildlife any favours. It's going to let these big hogweeds and cow parsleys and nettles and thistles basically overtop and outcompete everything else. And we need to be able to, as closely as possible, imitate the action of, of natural grazing animals by cutting and clearing. Now, of course, you can do that by taking a hay cut, which involves visiting and revisiting and revisiting a verge to cut it, to turn the cuttings, to uh, bale those cuttings, to then cut those bales away. And that, of course, is highly labour intensive and, and really time consuming. And there's not really a market for that hay, especially in a county like ours, where farming is mainly arable. So really what we wanted to do was find a way where cost effectively we can cut and clear the cuttings so in 2016, in, in May, there was a partnership project that started with Lincolnshire County Council and uh, it explored the possibility of using forage harvesters to run along road verges and to basically collect the cuttings as they went. And we found 
from uh, that study that uh, the, the quality of the material that's collected can actually generate uh, no less biomethane from anaerobic digestion than you'd expect from an average silage crop. So that's very hopeful in terms of perhaps creating interest in cutting verges that would otherwise not be cut. But at the same time, the Lincolnshire Wildlife Trust was very keen to be at the table and on the ball and make sure that we were saying how important it would be to make sure um, that these verges are cut in the right way at the right time uh, and not too frequently. So by cutting in early summer and early autumn or just once a year, you're allowing flowers to flower, to set seed and to complete their life cycles and you're minimising the amount of disturbance to wildlife and while you're maximising the return on, on what you invest in that operation. So hopefully it's a happy medium. It's important to say that we were looking at our road verge network in terms of a, a pyramid of quality. So uh, on the basis of surveys, we wanted to know where the best ones were and to only use um, hay cutting for those verges. That's optimal management. That would conserve um, the very best areas. They could then act as source populations for the rest of the network. So we would, you know, we would envisage that, you know, the wildflowers, the butterflies would spill out from those best places into the rest. So for the next level of quality, um, we would say forage harvesting is appropriate, but we need to be careful about when we cut, uh, how often we cut, and, uh, and make sure we don't run the machinery on the verge. And uh, that would be a way of almost bringing back from the brink some of the wildlife that is really suffering from the pressures that it's under. That was Mark Schofield from the Lincolnshire Wildlife Trust. And finally, you might see some of the plants for this week's challenge growing on road verges, or maybe in pavements, car parks or your lawn. This week, we want you to have a look out for members of the cabbage or brassicaceae family. Tim Rich is the Botanical Society of Britain and Ireland's leading authority on how to identify these plants. So I asked him for some tips. So, Tim, the cabbage family is quite a big family, isn't it? Yeah, we've got about 130, 140 species in Britain and a lot more casuals that haven't been recorded for a long while. But of that, there's probably only about 30 to 40 that are actually common and widespread. So, uh, if you know the common ones, then you'll pick up the rare ones later. And the key thing with identification is getting to know what you've got locally first. What sort of uh, common plants might we see in flower in this family at the moment? There's lots of bitter cresses um, out at the moment and the spring whitlow grass, Erophila verna, and that's the relatives. And then lots of fail cresses just coming out now. And then fairly soon we'll have charlock and um, some of the Nebraskas along the roadsides and things like that. And what sort of features distinguish this family? Well, the cabbage family is very easily distinguished from virtually all the others because it has a very standard flower pattern that's really distinctive. I mean, there are a few variations here and there, but basically you've got four green sepals at the back of the flower, and then you've got four petals, um, and then you have six stamens, which is usually four long ones and two small outer ones, and then one central uh, ovary, which is split into two parts sometimes. Um, but it's basically that sort of Four petals and six stamens combination is the key thing to look at. There's very few other families that have that sort of look, uh, possibly things like the epilobiums, the willow herbs do, but they uh, don't have six stamens, so they're relatively easy to eliminate. And what about the leaves? 
leaves can be very variable from entire or uh, deeply lobed. Uh, they vary in hairiness as well. Sometimes they've got simple hairs. Sometimes they've got stellate hairs. Very occasionally they have glandular hairs or, um, or even warts on something like the warty cabbage. So leaves are very useful within a, uh, usually within a genus for identification. But most of the getting to the, the genus, the, the group to start with, is based on flower and fruit characters. And my understanding also is that the seeds, are, the fruits and seeds can be quite important for this as well. Seeds, not so much, but certainly the fruits, yeah, because the fruits uh, vary enormously in structure just due to the way they've evolved. And uh, parts of the fruits, you, you have to learn as a beginner, which sounds a bit difficult, but because they're, they're quite technical in terminology and things, but once you've got your, your eye in, uh, then it really, really helps. So things to look at on the fruits as to whether there are vowels. These are, in effect, bits which cover the seeds. So usually something like shepherd's purse has two vowels, one on either side of a, a septum in the middle, and these vowels cover the seeds. So there are seeds in each little pocket of the capsella purse. But others then have a beak. These are the more evolutionary advanced ones. So things like radish don't have any vowels at the base of the fruit. All the seeds are held in the beak, which is the sort of bit beyond the end. It's like a beak of a bird. It's at the end of the fruit. And then other things have a combination of the two. So uh, charlock has uh, vowels at the base and a beak at the top. And once you've got your eye into these these parts, then that can really, really help you pick out the different genera. And in terms of some of the plants that people might see out now, you mentioned some of their names at the start of this conversation. What should they be looking out for with Thaocress, for instance? Uh, Thaocress is uh, quite a common plant in gardens and along uh, edges of roads and on pavements and things like that. And it's got a, a basal rosette and then uh, it has a, a fairly tall stem, which only has leaves where the inflorescence branches come out, so it's not very many leaves. And then, oddly enough, in this case, there are actually usually in wild plants in Britain only four stamens. So it avoids the general rule of the cabbage family having six stamens. But in the cabbage family, in Arabidopsis, the tailcress, this only has four stamens. So that's relatively unusual. The common bittercress, Cardamony hirsuta, also has four uh, stamens, but that has pinnate leaves, so they're, they're deeply lobed and things. So Arabidopsis, the sailcrest, very common, very widespread at this time of year. Um, and one of its other distinguishing characters is that the sepals at the back of the bag tend to fade quite quickly and senesce and they go yellowish. So rather than having uh, white petals and green sepals, they, they tend to have a yellowish look to them. So white petals and then yellowish sepals. And that, again, is very distinctive once you've got your eye in. And you are the expert on this family. There must be one plant in it that gives you particular joy whenever you see it. Oh, something like the, uh, the sea stock, Matteola sinuata. It's actually a beautiful plant of sand dunes around the coast. And if you get out of the Mediterranean, there's lots of it. And it gets all around the coast up to Brittany and it's in the back of the dunes. And big, lovely plants. And then it's a really, really rare thing here in Britain. So we've got quite a bit of it in places on the South Wales coast here. Uh, places like Kemfig and things and it's sort of white hairy and big long fruits and then these gorgeous pink flowers so uh, that's one of my favorites um, and then there's also the Lundy cabbage of course which is uh, one of our endemic species it only occurs in Britain and only on the Isle of Lundy and its relatives uh, are mainly down in the Iberian Peninsula in the mountains although we also have a Isle of Man cabbage around the uh, 
uh, close to the Irish Sea on the on the east side, on the British side. So Lundy Cabbage, another very, very special one just on Lundy. And what sort of books might people look at in terms of identifying these flowers? Well, I think beginners could probably start with The Wildflower Key by Francis Rose, um, because that has pictures as well as, as keys. And the more advanced people can use Stace, or, of course, I would highly recommend my uh, BSBI handbook. And I don't get any royalties, so, so I can recommend it easily. Now, what that has is all sorts of keys and help in it and pictures as well and descriptions. So uh, my BSBI handbook is, is very good. And I think another thing that would really help people to do is to perhaps come on training courses. Occasionally I run them for the BSBI or through Manchester and Metropolitan University and things. Um, and then you can be taught how to dissect plants and look at the uh, different parts of the fruits and the flowers and so forth. Another thing I was very keen on with my uh, original research was to make things as accessible as possible. So uh, rather than giving relative characters such as bright green or yellowish green, uh, which you have to see both of them, I actually measure a lot of things. So I can actually say that the petals on this one are between two and five millimetres long and the petals on this one are seven to 11 millimetres long. So you've actually got something that you can quantify easily rather than having sort of relative characters you see so often in, in floras. So my handbook's very carefully uh, designed to be used really by beginners, still widely available and relatively cheap. Uh, so you can get that through the Botanical Society of Britain and Ireland. That was Tim Rich. And there's a link to his handbook on the members of the Cabbage family on the Wildflower Hour website. When you found one of the plants in this family, just take a photo and upload it on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Cabbage Challenge or into the Wildflower Hour Facebook group. And as usual, there'll be a lovely group of botanists who are very happy to help you identify it. And that's all for this episode. Don't forget to join in with Wildflower Hour every Sunday between 8 and 9pm and visit wildflowerhour.co.uk to learn more about our amazing native flora. Thanks for listening.